Hello, welcome to the Design for a Living podcast with Chelsea Coriel. On this week's episode, we talk about building your team. Building a team, that's important. Good topic. When I talk about starting your design business, most people, uh, again, come at it from a fear, side of fear. They've read or they've heard. Um, I got another email just yesterday. I'm starting a business in Louisiana. You have to be licensed. Gosh, I can't become a designer because I'm not licensed. Okay, we got to lay this out there. I really, honestly, I know the design world um, debates this, but there are different kinds of designers. It isn't all or nothing. It isn't because you don't have this big degree, you therefore can never be a designer. I believe if you're a responsible, ethical, intelligent person, you know your limits, you know your boundaries, you know, you know the education you have had, the experience you've had. And if you don't have the license, meaning you haven't, in our industry, getting licensed means that you have to have, usually it's a four-year degree, it has to be an accredited university, then you have to work under someone that um, is an ASID member for three years, or there's a certain amount of hours that you have to work. And then you have to study for and take the Council for Interior Design Qualification, all right? And you know, when I went to design school, it was explained to me that you can do damage in someone's house. You can knock down a wall. You can, you know, put flammable carpet in um, a movie theater. I mean, there's all sorts of these little regulations that could be harmful to the public or to your homeowners. But not every project as a designer is like that, right? I mean, sometimes you're just picking out a sofa for a family or you're picking out paint colors. I don't think that you have to know all of the fire codes, fire regulations, and the different types of fire safety doors and exit doors if you just want to be a residential, more like what they used to call an interior decorator. The difference is, Nowadays, everyone calls you a designer anyways. Designers are actually, um, you know, part of our vernacular. It didn't used to be. You used to have explained to people what we did. My grandma used to call me an interior, whatever you call it, which was always a point of contention. But nowadays, they just think designer. Thanks to HGTV, everyone thinks, well, I want to be a designer. You need a designer. I want to be a designer. Again, then they get scared. I've got to go through university. I've got to pay for that. I've got to go find an, you know, take the NCIDQ exam. Um, It's a lot and it's a lot of pressure. And I've heard stories that there are design police that hide and that someone in Florida, a designer in Florida once moved a sofa farther than a foot and people were hiding and they jumped out. Uh Aha, like I'm going to get you. And they arrested her for not having... Uh, not being a certified interior designer in the state of Florida. I highly believe that 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 is an urban myth. There's no way there were design police. It was set up originally, again, to protect homeowners, to protect businesses. But times have changed, and there are many kinds of designers. So my advice has always been, know your strengths and weaknesses, right? That's important. Know your level of expertise, Know what you are capable of doing and in your state, what legally you're allowed to do. And for everything else, build a team. Build a team. I mean, 
I have a design degree. I ha- I I try to jump through all of the hoops. And I realized my clients didn't care if I was ASAD or NCIDQ certified. They didn't care. They wanted a pretty living room. You know, I was working in residential. I was doing upholstery and window treatments. and But because of that, I had a contractor if we had to do any construction. I had, you know, my drapery installer, um, you know, in the state of California. I legally, because I didn't have a window treatment contractor's license, could not even collect the money for drapery installation. It had to go directly through my installer who had that license. I mean, that's to me again, ridiculous, but, um, but I can understand, you know, hanging drapes, you could rip holes in people's walls or whatever, but I knew that. So I had that, right. I built the team and that's, that's the way that you can have confidence. If you want to be a designer, be a designer, just do your research, right. And then start building your team. I mean, Nadia, you've seen the importance of the people that we work with, mm-hmm. right. Picking them out, interviewing them. It's a, it's a process, yeah. but it's so important. So I wanted to talk today about um, some of the hurdles to jump through, some of the things you need to look for, um, questions you can ask, and most importantly, the kind of relationship that I have found to build with your team that works the best. Well, I think that's important because just kind of seeing people that come and go through here, um, they might be great on paper and they might know the things or say the right things, but then sometimes at the end of the day, they just don't click or vibe with you and there's not that connection or just um, being on the same page about things that you would think they would know or do or say. And then you're mm-hmm. just, man, it didn't work out, but everything else was right. And so I really see that, that that's really important now. Yeah. And they have to know their stuff. They have to know more than you, right? Because that's, you're, you're hiring the team because it's things that, that are not your strengths or that you're not qualified to do. But I think of it as a team because I do hand pick them. When I, when I, when I find someone that's going to work on my client's house, I want to make sure that they represent me. And so I am really picky. And we know from Nadia's just getting her first taste of working with, (laughs) with contractors Mm -hmm. and painters and tile guys. And they, there's a huge array of talent, work ethic, price, um, attitude, and until you really um, get to work with someone, it's hard to know. So you're going to make a few mistakes, all right? You're, you're, so at the beginning, when you're starting to build a team, this is what I recommend. First of all, you don't really have to build a huge team until you know you're going to have those kinds of projects, right? Uh, if you're strictly doing window treatments, clearly you just need a window treatment installer <laughs> or a drapery workroom. But if you are meeting clients and they want kitchen remodels or walls knocked down or like Nadia's client, a wine cellar built Mm. that was beautiful and the floors redone and a wall opened up and the electrical moved and a kitchen built and a bathroom remodeled. We weren't going to say no to the client because she was also buying downstairs full of furniture, but we had all these other projects that we wanted, you know, a, a real contractor to do. So when I'm building my initial team, let's say I've just moved to somewhere new and I've got my first client and it's that kind of client. I, I look through a list of contractors. Let's say if you're, again, if you're just new to a, a town, you're going to find the people that look like they're going to fit 
into your, um, I guess, price range. You know what I mean? Like if it's a one-off mom and pop kind of a guy, if you're just needing some towel bars hung and, you know, little stuff done. But if you have to have walls opened up, I mean, that is where you get into the construction. So that's where it can, you know, you can't take down a load bearing wall. You need to know structural. You need to know all of that stuff. So your contractor had better be licensed and bonded and experienced and check their references. It's one of those things that we always ask for references, but no one ever calls. Well, call. Ask, how was it like working with them? Did they finish the job, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we our last contractor, it's like the last 2% was always left undone. And it was constant nagging to get them to finish. And you don't want that either. So there's a lot of stuff that you need to be asking. But the most important thing that I found is I take them out for coffee. And I sit down and say, listen, I'm a designer. This is what I do. These are the things I do. These are the kinds of clients that I have. I want a contractor that's on my team. That if I have a new client and they're talking about a kitchen remodel, I want to be able to walk through with you. We'll meet beforehand and I'll say, okay, this is what I'm thinking of. And then as we're going through the house, can you not make me look like an idiot? (laughs) Don't make me look stupid, especially when you're first learning. I mean, this is what I did. You know, again, I had the four-year degree and they didn't teach us how to work with contractors at all. Designers weren't supposed to do that. We were supposed to sit in a firm and just draft and take care of the samples library. No thanks. So it's true. Like that was my aspiration of going through design school. That was what I was going to get to do. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> I wanted Times to be a changed, designer, yeah. right? So I tell the contractor, I understand, you know, the basics, but I don't know enough about load bearing, about engineering. I want you to be that expert as we walk through. Again, don't throw me into the bus. And so every place I've lived, I usually find a contractor and we, you know, you have, you start off with that conversation and remind, we're on the same team. You know, I want to work together. I'm never going to talk about you and, you know, make you look bad behind your back. Please don't do that with me. And so as we're walking through the project, you know, I used to, um, my contractor in California was amazing. And we walked through and say, hey, Chris, um, this wall, what do you think? Do you think if we opened up this wall? It's a, yeah, yeah, you know, it might be load bearing, but that's okay. I've got an engineer. We'll have him come in. Wonderful. Again, didn't make me look stupid. Didn't make me look like I didn't know what I was doing. It just looked like I had a really strong team. So you need to find those people that not only, again, come highly recommended, have some referrals, but there's someone that understands how you work and that both of you have your reputation on the line and both of you are going to be reflected in this project. It's the same thing with um, wallpaper hangers. You know, they're few and far between these days. Um, Painters are in high demand. Anyone looking for a career, become a painter. They can pretty much set whatever price they want. But it's seeing their work. And, and you know, another example, a, a painter that I had had, I, I knew of him because I've known him as a person. We went to high school. You've met him, Kurt. He's amazing. Um, and um, the first job we did together, I think because he was working with me as a designer, he, he wasn't really sure how to... Um, handle his direct interaction with the client. So we had painted a color that I had selected and it was cream 
the floors, imagine this, were still that golden oak. And he had these big windows. Their staircase was golden oak. Everything was this golden oak. And we were going to refinish the floors to a dark wood. But at the time, when he painted that cream, you can imagine, like, the colors. The whole room looked yellow. But it was because you've got light reflecting off the floor. It was bouncing off. And it looked yellow. Well, the client panicked and said, no, I can't do this. It's too yellow. It's too yellow. So she picked a color that was lighter and had him repaint this was a massive space it was you know 20 foot ceilings in the entryway so he had scaffolding i mean it was a big process up the staircase this wasn't just a room it was the whole downstairs and when we got to the end and she got the bill she had a heart attack that it was double what she had originally been quoted it was too late for me at this point I should have had this conversation with Kurt ahead of time. But again, because I knew him and he was a great guy, it didn't occur to me. But this is how I work, right? If you're going to make a big change like that and the client's asking you to change something that's going to cost a lot more money, fine. But you have to explain that to them. You have to stop and say, hey, no problem. We can change this, but I will have to charge twice. I mean, it's going to be twice as expensive because I'm repainting everything. That might get them to calm down and say, okay, well, hold on. Let's ask Chelsea. <laughs> and I would have said, trust me, just wait till the floors are done. Wait till you see it done. It's not going to look this yellow. And she was right. You, you couldn't tell. I mean, I was right. You couldn't tell which wall he had painted. Like when I went in to see it after I knew he had already started repainting this, I couldn't tell where he had repainted. The color was so similar. Mm. If she had just waited and talked to me... It, Again, and if I had had the talk with Kurt, and now I have, and he has to understand, again, you got to just give people heads up. That's what gives people a bad name is, you know, surprises at the end, or you didn't tell me it'd be this much, or, you know, you didn't tell me it was going to cost extra, but duh, right? It's, they did all the work twice. It's not going gonna to do that for free. So you see where it's, it's sort of both sides, but, but building that team up front you can get rid of a lot of those headaches, right? I won't have that problem again, ever. Um, so Nadia, tell me your experience now that you've worked with contractors. Well, you come with a family of contractors. I mean, you have people in your family that mm -hmm. are in the construction business. Mm -hmm. So you probably, your experience working with them is a little different. Yeah. Not that I've really worked with my family, but I think just working with the contractors here, um, I just noticed that there's so many things that, you might communicate that the other person might, you know, connect and think, yeah, we're on the same page. And then you come and you're just like, how did you miss this? I literally drew you a diagram. Yeah, we had designed it so these two doors would have bypassed on the opposite sides. It's, it's hard to picture without seeing mm -hmm. the place. But we'll post. Nadia needs to post yeah, her yeah. pictures because it's beautiful now that it's all done. It's oh, just gorgeous. Goodness. But at the time, they thought they were solving the problem and it wasn't it just made it work it caused more problems oh so many they ended up doing it wrong and they put it in double layer onto the wall they had to rip it out and put new sheetrock and paint mm -hmm. and it was just this mess and then they told the client she got the wrong one the client is panicking trying to get a new one calling me and we're trying to solve the issue here and all it had to do was just call me and from that point it's like you really need to be there every step of the way because we thought we were on the same page i had called we double checked the harder it was there. And then, you know, this happened. So at the same time, everything happens at, at a job site to be prepared. But 
you know, that communication is really, really key. Yeah. Especially that was a job that was a, it's an hour and a half away. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like we could just pop in every day. Um, you had to plan it, you know, once a week to go out to the job site. And again, this was a client that, or a, a, a contractor I had worked with for years. I mean, I think I'd done six big, big projects with them, you know, open the ceiling, engineering beams. Um, and I think honestly, what happened and if I could go back and sort of head things off when I saw them starting to go off the rails, um, his company got a huge bid. It got, it got a big project in downtown Seattle, an entire building and started with just changing out the stucco and it ended up snowballing towards the interior. It's now it's two more of their buildings and he started getting spread so thin. And even though we had a good relationship, I could see that things were starting to slip. The quality was not what it used to be, but it's because he wasn't there watching his team and we were no longer important. This little $80,000 job was nothing. And to us, it was everything. That was our first big mm -hmm. like remodel project we got here at the store. So that was a hard pill to swallow. And we aren't really working together anymore as a contractor designer team. Um, but again, we started off, he, he he was a great, you know, person to work with. And it was always seemed to, you know, kind of run smoothly. And, um, but again, he was there watching his team and you can't, you can't not have a leader mm -hmm. there. There has to be someone that's checking quality and, you know, constantly on them because that's not, it's not their company. So they're not going to have the same, yeah. you know, attention to detail. But again, that's the kind of thing you're building your team. You know, you need to find, and, and. And even that, the team that you build, there are a lot of people that you might not realize. Um, so again, a wallpaper installer. It's not every day, but wall make, wallpaper's making a huge comeback. Nadia keeps using it in her designs and it's beautiful. Um, your workroom, your drapery workroom. And I've said before, I didn't know window treatments. I didn't learn them in school at all. I didn't learn anything about window treatments That's in school. Crazy. I know, I know, four-year so degree. And wow. so the first couple times I was designing something, and now it was back in the 90s, so we had swags and jabos, swags and jabos. And I had picked a stripe, and I had it in my mind the way I wanted it to go. And the workroom said, you're not going to like this. It's going to go diagonally. No, 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 no. It's fine. Just do it. No, we cut swags on the bias, right? Well, that just means you turn it diagonally <laughs> and cut the fabric because there's more stretch. So when you're doing that swoopy swag, the fabric bends and drapes beautifully. And so you don't have the sharp little creases. Makes perfect sense. But I I literally would go to my workroom and sit there and watch them. And I'll say, okay, this is the design. These are the fabrics I'm choosing. Decide to show me which fabric will work best and why. Show me how you're gonna make that. What does this look like? What does that hem look like? I, so that when I go back to my client, I could explain it. And from now, you know, then on, it was like, well, we have this beautiful stripe, but if you do it on a swag, it's going to be at a diagonal. <laughs> um, or you can't use, Katrina was just picked out a, um, a fabric for the Roman shades in the kitchen for that client she's working on. Mm -hmm. And I read in the little fine print, it said that it's a chenille. It was under the chenille category. And you couldn't tell by the picture. We didn't have a sample. But she had the whole design around this one fabric. And it was a really expensive fabric. It was like $95 a yard. And it was making the window treatments really expensive. So I said, you might not want that for a window treatment. But, but I learned that at that workroom because they took the time. So I built them you know, as my team. The workroom I worked with in California, 
we had such a tight relationship that after I left the store, we had used them um, at the store that I was managing. And after I left the store and I was doing independent design, I could get all of my fabrics through them. I didn't have to open my own accounts. They got such big discounts because they'd been in business forever and they got huge, huge, you know, discounts on their wholesale pricing. So I could still get 40% off MSRP. I could then sell it for full retail. I was making 40% on the fabric, which is huge. And they worked so closely with me. They'd tell me, no, that's not going to work. You know, trust me, your customer's not going to be happy. Um, I had the installer that worked through them do my measuring. He would come out to the house first. It was 75 bucks. It's worth every penny, right? But Mark would come out. He'd look at the space. He'd check, you know, is the right header above this? We're going to have to have a big iron rod. Make sure that there's a, you know, you've got the header up there that it's going to hold. And um, he'd see the space. He'd measure. So it wasn't just my measurements. I didn't have to rely on that. Nadia is terrified of measuring something wrong. She's terrified. You can see the panic attack she gets into when she's having to deal with numbers. And I always say, she's great. She has to take a breath. It's like so bad. It's when she gets nervous. We talked about that, her little digital. I still have to get her a digital. Yeah. No, I was actually thinking about it today. I'm like, man, I really, really need it. I'm yeah. so sick of these measurements. Yeah. I have to go back on Thursday and I'm already dreading it. Oh, come on. Just, I forget too. You measure a wall and you're talking, you go back to write it down. Shoot, what was that again? And then you have to go back. That's and literally me. It's so I, I do that every time. I've been doing this for 30 years. Don't worry about it. But if you have the measurer go out, you don't ever have to worry about it. So again, that's a strength and weakness thing. Mm-hmm. Nadi will forever now have her installer go out and measure. <laughs> and that little device. And it, give her the measurements what hardware he has to have. He'll tell you how many rings you need, how many brackets you need, where they're going to go, how big your finials can be if it's running into a wall or, you know, sometimes when you have bay windows and they're kind of tricky. So having that person in your team is phenomenal. Then the workroom and I did so much business together. They sold um, Hunter Douglas blinds, which are beautiful. They're like, you know, top of the line, beautiful blinds, all different kinds. Uh, but it's expensive to buy into Hunter Douglas to be, um, to sell them. It's like $5,000 for the catalogs, just for the catalogs. I know it's crazy, but the drapery shop, that's what it was called. California, give them a plug. <laughs> the drapery shop. And uh, was it Vista? I think it's Vista, Southern California by San Diego. Um, they would give me such discount pricing on Hunter Douglas. I could match Home Depot prices but I was still making 30 to 40% markup on my end. So it was a great moneymaker. And again, I didn't have to worry about it not fitting because they'd back it. You know, They would make sure that it was gonna fit. It was their measurement. There was even one time they must've measured something wrong and Mark didn't even say it. He just swooped the panel up and said, I'll be back. He ran back to the workroom. They re-sewed, re-hemmed it, and he brought it back out, steamed and hung it. Oh. But it wasn't my problem, right? But that's because I had that team. They also, um, if you get the right team, <laughs> good workroom. Designers notoriously overestimate yardage. They get afraid they're not going to have enough. Uh, constantly, it's five yards, six yards, seven yards over. Well, it would sit there for months and months. So they had a deal. We had a deal that if a fabric sat there for more than six months, and the designer didn't want it back or the homeowner didn't want it back, that I could have it. So I had the best fabrics because oh, wow. I, I got them off from the drapery shop. Yeah, That's they were awesome. great. But but I built that 
relationship, right? And I gave them all of my business and I was always really kind. Um, again, never made them look stupid, never blamed them. You hear that a lot. Well, oh, it was my workroom, all oh, those guys. You can't, right? This is your team. So you need a painter, right? Workroom. Um, who else? Movers. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. You need to have your furniture received in a furniture receiving warehouse. If you find the right team, they inspect it, they uncrate it, they clean it, they make sure it looks all good and it's put together. And then they bring it to the house, put it exactly where you want it. They stick around because you're probably going to move it a few times, right? Mm-hmm. But that's someone you need to interview. You can't just find you know, someone, you can't just Google and find the first person and, and assume they're going to be good and, and well represent you. So that's another really important team member. Find a receiving house. It doesn't matter where you live. There's a furniture receiving house. And go see them. How do they store the stuff? Is it just shoved in a warehouse? We have a sofa that we got delivered. It was coming from Vegas. It's our trundle. Mm-hmm pull out and we bought it off the display floor at market um which really at the end i didn't save any money but we had it shipped from vegas to here and because it wasn't its typical shipping line because it wasn't coming from the the factory it was a smaller company brought it to a receiving house in oregon and then they brought it up well there was a huge hole through the plastic and literally tread marks on the sofa it had to have been, I don't know, on the ground and like maybe a, a forklift, something like ran over it. But it clearly was their fault. It was not a good receiving house, you know, and they need, they're reimbursing us for it. So that's a really important team member. Um, other designers, you know, working as a team. How do you like working as a team here? It's nice because... It- Two brains are better than one. And then sometimes I've been growing a lot in my designs. And so when I have someone else's help or their um, point of view, I'll consider it. And then that'll give birth to a thought and whatnot. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, cool. What about this thing, this area or that? So it's nice because who are you going to call if you don't have that? If you're just solely on your own and you're just kind of stuck. Like so many times, I'm like, okay, Chelsea, this is my, this are, these are the um, parameters that I'm working within. I have this and this, and I need another piece to complement it. What would you choose? I'm stuck. So that's been nice because if you're on your own without anyone completely, sometimes it is get hard. So you, you do need to phone a friend. So Absolutely. I kind of do that often here. Well, again, it's like you said, it, it helps you grow as a designer mm-hmm. because it is. It's creativity. It's your imagination. And everyone has a different imagination. So they might spark something and that it takes you down a different path that you hadn't, you wouldn't have gone mm-hmm. down. Or confirm um, if you had any doubts. Like, actually, you know what? I think I chose better or, you know, now it's making sense, you know? Mm-hmm. So even if you're an independent designer, finding other designers in your community that, again, there's so much business out there. You don't have to be that competitive. People, designers are horrible. Designers can be so sneaky and mean and they don't share their resources. They don't share ideas or or where they got pieces or but there's so many clients out there. So getting a few designers that you have a little support group that you can share resources. Maybe one can open an account with one vendor and the other person can open an account with it. You know, there are ways that you can kind of work together um, as sort of a co-op. 
and build that team. Your businesses could be separate, but but having that support and um, it is, it's a reassurance. Mm-hmm. We have big pressure. Oh yeah, We have to make someone's house look good. Yikes, every time, every time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having someone else's opinion, just sometimes say, yep, you're on the right track. Okay, good, okay, good. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. But it, it's all part of that team. Um, it's even down to like, we have a lady in Florida that does um, glass, stained glass inserts for kitchen cabinets. And I've had a conversation with her and she's great. And she gave me a great discount and she knows, you know, what I expect. And, um, but I, but I took, I took the time to talk to her. I didn't just find someone. Mm-hmm. I think another would be if you are into remodels and home builds, that would be your, your um, surface company that does you know yes. the surfaces because we countertops countertops yes we have so many and we've had issues with a couple with their employees with mm-hmm. what they've said and done to our clients not necessarily threw us under the bus but like gave us huge like bumps in the road mm-hmm. that's one thing i want to say is if if i have to go ever on my own or whatnot is meet people and say your employee should never talk to my client because there's we, there have been so many instances where it just set us back so much. And it was so frustrating because mm-hmm. you, you would never think like, why would you say something to a client? Like your job is just to set it in. Don't give them new ideas. Don't say, oh, I have this yes. other stone at the showroom you should look into. And then my client is calling me on my birthday or the yeah. countertops c- company are saying, your um, your client decided to change it. We're installing in three days. Yeah, so That was the situation. I was driving to my birthday dinner with my family and I'm freaking out, calling the client, calling them back because it was such an emergency, which is yeah. okay. I get it. It's life. I'm willing to take that phone call. But I was just frustrated. I'm like, why is your employee talking to my client? Like, yeah. that's not cool. They're not the designer. Everyone has their strength, yeah. right? Everyone has their lane. <laughs> they should mm-hmm. stand and you support each other, right? But don't cross into my lane. Um, um, counter tile setters. Oh Ugh. my god! Again, another career. You want to make Ugh. a lot of money? It's probably a short-lived career because I, I would imagine it's hard work. I love the tile though. I've tiled a million times. I love it. They're so hard to find good tile setters. People with attention to details. My husband uses used to set tile. Oh, <laughs> I should see. I should see how David. well he does. <laughs> Looks like we have a new. Tile setter. But they are. They're hard to find. It's hard to find someone that's reliable, that's going to show up. And again, it's that attention to detail. You know, no, don't cut an outlet Mm -hmm. in half. It's also like artistic. It is very artistic. And I'm just shocked. I'm like, okay, this is actually more of a trade of design and craftsmanship and not Mm -hmm. just, oh, it's just a means to an end. I'm setting tile. Like a lot of men I know and just from our... um, culture like you know but where we grew up and stuff so now that i see that and i work with them like man i have so much respect for tile setters that are actually good yeah i have a good friend that's a great tile setter but he's too busy he i can never hire him mm-hmm. but he even um he's very spiritual and he writes he draws a little heart under every job that he does and writes a little like a little prayer kind of thing it's just to, mm-hmm. to bless the house bless the project because he puts his mm-hmm. heart and soul into it like each project he does oh like good spiritual yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's okay. his like like I'm making this with love for you. Mm-hmm. That's why he puts a little heart and it's just his, you know. But he's great. Yeah, tile setters. Huh. You find a good one. Mm-hmm. Keep them. I think just yeah. even good um good vendors with good mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. reps. Reps. Yeah. Sometimes 
if they make a mistake, they won't call you back for months on months. Like I'm waiting mm-hmm. just to get a price list from someone that my clients is waiting. I'm trying to give them the price so I can get in the door to get the job. And I'm like, hey, remember me? I asked you last week. We're yeah. in July. I still don't have 2020 pricing. Yeah. How do we sell the products if we don't have yeah. up to the pricing or we know what pieces are discontinued or yeah, good vendors, especially like fabric vendors, window treatments. We talked mm-hmm. about that. You know, I could call my Fabrica. Yeah. Her, rep. I love. She's so sweet. She comes with yeah. goodies. She'll pick up the phone no matter what. Always come and help. Wait for you if I'm on a job. Like that is so special for me. I will always give her my business just because of that. Yeah. When Nadia and, and Katrina, the other designer that's, um, here with us that when they have huge window treatment projects, I mean, normally I used to sit down and do it with them, but I don't have time anymore. Crazy. Right. But Pam comes in and she sits. I mean, that's, that's because she has um, pride in her business and in what she does in her career. And this is her job is to help designers. So why wouldn't she? But yeah, not all reps Mm -hmm. are created equal. Um, I love when a rep will call and say, Hey, there's going to be a, you know, shipping discount coming up or they're having a big sale coming up or, um, you know, if you put this order in now, you know, you'll get 20% off this plus free shipping plus, and we can hold half of this. You don't have to pay for it now. And, but they give me that heads up mm-hmm. and it's great because I don't have time to look at every one of our vendors and see what's the promotion they're offering or, you know, what's the special mm-hmm. for the month. So the vendors are, they're part of your team. Sometimes you don't have your own accounts and you have to go to a design center. You will find the showroom that treats you with respect and is kind. And if your clients come in, again, they're not going to try to redesign or resell or talk someone into something else. They understand the client-designer relationship and they're not going to step on that. And you give them all of your business. But tell them that up front. Say, you're my go-to. I love you guys. You've been great with me. I'm going to bring you all my business. Let's keep it up. And you'll get better discount. There's so many different perks they can give you. Mm -hmm. Even down to, let's say you have to have something shipped in. And um, I I know for a fact there's at upholstery vendors or or, or case goods, they'll run out to the loading dock and take your bill of lading off, you know, and swap them with one that's going to go sooner, like at the same piece, because they like me. And so I get mine first. But it's because I give them all my business and I'm polite and respectful and uh, and I'm honest. I'll say, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? I'm not really experienced in this. Tell me what's so great about this product or which one you know, would you recommend based on these are my needs of my client. I mean, I've learned that the more honest you are and just open with, hey, I don't know everything. Yeah. I'm kind of stupid. Help me. <laughs> and I th- we've said it before. Re- it's, it's that connection. Respect that. Yeah where they're going to take you over someone who can give the exact same business, but is so difficult to work with, so unappreciative. Or know it all. Bus. Yeah. They'll take someone that's sweet and kind that'll bring a box of donuts every once in a while, butter them up, you know? Yeah. I mean, they know their products mm-hmm. inside and out. Use them. Building a team it is, it is in the first three steps of building your design business. And, you know, nowadays, of course, you can Google things. Um, so looking in your area, Google, start with a contractor, start with a workroom that works to the trade. We've talked about that. Um, Your painter. And then ask them these questions. You know, talk about, do you have references that I can look at? If they don't have any, well, that's a red flag. Next, um, one of our next upcoming podcasts, we're going to talk about red flags. I think something else that I've noticed is on Instagram, people will tag different workrooms or people will tag different businesses that are in that interior design picture. mm -hmm. So that's also a way 
more that's a little bit more techy and advanced these days is to see um, you just double click the picture and it says who's working with who and then that leads to what and then the city they're in. So that's also a way if, nice. you know, it doesn't come up right away on Google. Yeah, and there, there are services out there, Angie's List and, and that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you know, again, you don't know. Everyone will put their best foot forward on their website or mm -hmm. so just you got to go, especially if it's someone as important as like a contractor and you're working on a big project, take them to Starbucks, have a cup of coffee. Nowadays, sit outside six feet apart <laughs> and ask them these questions and talk about it and get to know the person, right? And start to look for those red flags um, and asking for the references. But that's the best way, you know, build that team and keep in contact with them. Even if you don't have projects right now, they're going to start sending you projects. Mm -hmm. So if you keep that relationship positive, um, kind of where you're going, you know, hey, I've been doing some new marketing, I'm hoping to get some new remodels. And, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on this one housing development down here. And I'm just letting you, you know, know what's going on. And, and again, showing them you're a team member. And that's, that's going to set you up for success. You don't have to know everything. No mm -hmm. one knows everything. But build a team that does and you will be a design superstar like Nadia will be someday soon. <laughs> yes, hopefully. That's the goal through the blood, sweat, and tears. But no, that's good. That's very important. And that's something I have probably valued the most learning hands-on and through my own failures that the team is the number one. That's what really makes it work. And that's something I will always look out for in the future and keep in mind. So I hope this helped you guys. And we hope you guys find the best team out there to help you put your best foot forward. Yep. Happy designing. Happy designing. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Design for a Living with Chelsea Coriel. Our episodes will be dropping on Sunday, so stay tuned. We are on Google Podcasts and Spotify, and soon you will find us on YouTube where we will upload podcast videos. So stay tuned for that and follow along. Thanks so much for being with us. Find us online at designforaliving.com. Visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and House at Design for a Living. If you'd like to submit a question or request a topic, email us at chelsea at designforaliving.com. That's C-H-E-L-S-E-A at designforaliving.com.